You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, my name is Matt, host of the Pirate History Podcast. Pirates rank among the most mythologized and romanticized of all historical figures. It can become easy to forget that pirates were real people that had real-world concerns. If you like tales of high seas adventure, daring do, and also want to learn more about who Blackbeard supported to be king, you can learn more about all of that at the Pirate History Podcast. The French Revolution set Europe ablaze. It was an age of enlightenment and progress, but also of tyranny and oppression. It was an age of glory and an age of tragedy. One man stood above it all. This was the Age of Napoleon. I'm Everett Rummage, host of the Age of Napoleon podcast. Join me as I examine the life and times of one of the most fascinating and enigmatic characters in modern history. Look for the Age of Napoleon wherever you find your podcasts. In April of 2012, a small 27-foot-long sailboat, the St. Brendan, cruised into Chesapeake Bay. On board was Matt Rutherford, a 31-year-old American from Ohio. When Rutherford stepped onto the docks at Annapolis to the cheers of hundreds, it was the first time he had stood on dry land in 310 days. What Rutherford had done was one of the great modern feats of exploration and adventure. He had completed the first non-stop solo circumnavigation of the Americas. That's North and South America both. He did it alone. He never stopped, never visited a port, never dropped anchor. It was just him and a 40-year-old, 27-foot-long sailboat, or 8.2 meters, covering an astounding 27,000 miles, or 43,500 kilometers, through some of the most dangerous waters in the world. Today on the Explorers Podcast, we are going to detail this remarkable story. A few notes about this episode. First, I have put a map on our website, explorerspodcast.com, if you want to see the exact route Rutherford took on his journey. But I'll be honest, it's not hard to imagine. He's going to go up the North American coast, through the Northwest Passage, and then all the way from Alaska to the southern tip of South America, and then back north to his starting point at Annapolis, Maryland. Second note is about our source material, which is unique for us on this show. We have two primary sources about Rutherford and his journey. The first is a documentary about his voyage, called Red Dot on the Ocean. I don't usually get video of our subject nor their voyage, but this time I did, and it makes for some great stuff. The second other amazing source I have for this series is our subject, Matt Rutherford. He was introduced to me about a year ago by a friend of the podcast, Nick Radka, who suggested that Rutherford would be an interesting story to cover, and Nick was right. Matt's story is great, and he has been more than generous with his time, answering emails and doing an extensive interview with me. He even went into my script and corrected stuff that he knew was wrong. So this is, as I said, really unique. I love this access into the mind of our explorer, something that I've never really had before. Third note, I want to let you know that this story will consist of three episodes. Parts one and two will be me telling you about Rutherford's voyage, just like I do with all my subjects. Part three will be a long interview with Rutherford, which will follow our two-part telling of his journey. And the interview, by the way, is fantastic. Rutherford told me so many stories and gave me so many insights into himself and the voyage. It's such a rare and unique opportunity to look into the person, their motivations, and the actual journey. And so today we begin the story of Matt Rutherford and the first solo, non-stop circumnavigation of the Americas. Let's go. Matt Rutherford was born in 1981 in Warren, Ohio, a classic Rust Belt town just east of Cleveland. 
His parents were Doug Rutherford and Marlo McIntyre. Matt was a smart, adventurous, independent, and fiercely stubborn red-headed kid. And to say he had a unique childhood is a massive understatement. Rutherford's parents were part of a religious cult, and as a child, Matt struggled to fit into the world due to that situation, plus a variety of learning disabilities. He was diagnosed with dysgraphia, a neurological disorder characterized by writing disabilities, and didn't learn to read until the fifth grade. He was hyperactive and unable to focus or sit for long periods. This made it difficult for Rutherford to fit in at school. In time, his disorders were addressed with medication, including Ritalin and Prozac, but the results were mixed. By the time he was 13, he was, Rutherford said, quote, taking a fistful of pills three times a day, end quote. The medication caused him to have tics, which led him to be ridiculed at school. It wasn't long before depression was an issue. It was around this time that he was diagnosed with ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. To top it all off, Rutherford's family life was crumbling around him. His parents left the religious cult, which is what his family's world had been centered around all his life. And then his parents separated, which led to his mother having a breakdown. All this sent Rutherford down a dangerous path. He began to use drugs and alcohol. He trusted no one and struggled in school. He was out of control, Rutherford saying this of it all, quote, I was doing things well beyond my time, and I was doing it full on, end quote. At age 13, he was sent to a drug rehabilitation program, and not for the last time. But things only got worse. Rutherford committed his first felony at the age of 14. He was selling and doing drugs, and had fallen in with a sketchy crowd. Rutherford would later say, quote, I was doing drugs 110%, and I was being as much of a street punk as humanly possible, end quote. His family feared for Matt's life, his mother Marlo saying, quote, If we make it to 25 and he's not dead or in prison, we might be okay. End quote. Rutherford was helped when his parents elected to homeschool him. This was good and there were signs of progress, but drugs, alcohol, and crime continued to haunt him. One of the issues facing a teen with ADHD is a need to stimulate the brain, which often leads to drugs, alcohol, and risk-taking. Of it, Rutherford said, quote, I am a person who's always had a need for adventure in life. When I was younger, a lot of those adventures were not very healthy adventures. End quote. Rutherford fell into such a dark spiral, his parents were on a first-name basis with the local police. In the end, it led to anger, depression, and a lack of self-worth. Rutherford said, quote, I was very angry. Really, ultimately, though, what I hated most was myself. End quote. And then Rutherford said he had an epiphany at the age of 16, which changed his life. He was in jail for the fifth time, in the same cell with the same friend that he'd been in for his fourth incarceration. It was deja vu. He recognized that if he kept going down this path, he was going to spend the rest of his life in prison. He saw that it was pointless and he was going nowhere. For Matt Rutherford, the life-changing vehicle came in the form of Eagle Rock School, a year-round boarding school for kids at risk. It was centered around community, service, and the outdoors. Here he thrived, saying, quote, I actually learned for the first time in my life that I enjoyed learning, end quote. Rutherford embraced the values of the school and even ended up teaching classes on the Vietnam War and the history of government. School staff praised him for his curiosity, passion, and commitment. One of Rutherford's teachers, James Sherman, said this of the then-teenager, quote, He's got more balls than a boatload of Marines. Nobody I've ever met had more courage than Matt, end quote. One of the great things about Eagle Rock School was its focus on the outdoors. Rutherford had always been drawn to nature. He loved hiking and simply being out in the open. It was freeing. Now, it was during these years that young Rutherford developed a passion for geography. 
And as he stared at a map of the world, he realized that if you had a boat, you could visit 85% of the world's nations. At this same time, he took a school-sponsored trip to Thailand, which opened up Matt's world in so many ways. All this came together with Rutherford's discovery of past explorers. When he was 17, his father gave him a copy of Carolyn Alexander's book, The Endurance, chronicling Ernest Shackleton's legendary expedition. It began a love for the history of exploration, in particular polar exploration, that continues to this day. Now, Rutherford finished school, but he admits his road forward was not an easy one. It was a long process. For a while, he slid back into life on the streets, but in the end, he elected to embrace his passion to explore the world. It was 2003, and he was living in Columbus, Ohio. He had never sailed a boat before, much less owned one, but that's the path that Rutherford elected to take. He bought an old 25-foot sailboat, which according to him was a piece of junk. He then proceeded to sail the boat from Chesapeake Bay to the Florida Keys. Remember, he had no sailing experience. The result was, as you can imagine, nearly a disaster. His boat was hit by lightning, and he even ran aground. But Rutherford made it, and he had found his passion. He loved sailing. It was a way to focus his energy and frustrations in a constructive fashion. Of it, he would say, quote, I guess there's a freedom to it. Rutherford describes himself as a curious learner, the kind of person that figures things out by trial and error. In addition to learning how to sail and care for a boat, he learned how to be a mechanic, a navigator, a cook, and everything else required of a solo sailor. Over the next few years, Rutherford settled in Annapolis, Maryland, and honed his abilities as a sailor. He sailed along the eastern coast of the United States in the Gulf of Mexico. He then did a two-year journey, alone, across the Atlantic to Europe, and then to Africa, and then back across the Atlantic to the Caribbean, before returning home. Again, all of this was done single-handedly. He described himself as a bit of a vagabond, living wherever he sailed on his boat. It was cheap and satisfying. And that brings us to 2010. Rutherford was living in Annapolis. He had never lost his commitment to service and helping others, something learned back in his Eagle School days. And thus, he volunteered for a local nonprofit called Chesapeake Region Accessible Boating, a.k.a. CRAB. CRAB was founded in 1991 by a man named Don Bakke, who had been paralyzed in a car accident in 1989. The organization's mission was, and still is, to provide unique sailing experiences to people with disabilities, as well as young people from underserved communities. This was the exact sort of thing Rutherford believed in, and he became a regular volunteer for CRAB, mostly helping out by repairing, painting, and providing maintenance to boats donated to the organization. Well, one day Rutherford was shown a beaten-up old boat that had been donated and was in need of repair. He suggested half-jokingly to Crab's founder, Don Bakke, that he fix it up and sail through the Northwest Passage as a way to raise money for the organization. No one had ever sailed that small of a boat through the Northwest Passage, meaning above Canada and Alaska, from the Atlantic to the Pacific Ocean. And from that comment, the idea only grew. If you're going to sail through the Northwest Passage, why not just keep going? I mean, you gotta get the boat home somehow. So why not just continue south to the other side of the world and sail around South America? This meant circumnavigating North and South America. And you want to make the idea even more crazy? Well, do it solo with no stopping. That means sailing by yourself around the Americas, no putting into port, no having visits from other boats or people, nothing. You can't even drop anchor. When I asked Rutherford about how this idea even came to fruition, he spoke about how he became obsessed over the years with polar travel and specifically completing the Northwest Passage, just like Roald Amundsen had done more than 100 years earlier. And let's be clear, Rutherford had never been to the polar regions, much less sailed a boat in them. But over the years, he had talked to people about completing such a voyage, saying, quote, 
the Northwest Passage was kind of like the Holy Grail of sailing, end quote. But in Rutherford's mind, he felt that his two years sailing across the Atlantic and back alone demonstrated he had what was needed to do the passage. And regarding expanding the journey to not just sailing the Northwest Passage, he said the more he considered the idea, the more confident he became about completing it. He told me, quote, I tend to get an idea, then I get comfortable with an idea, then I expand the idea, then I expand it until I can't expand it anymore. And that's basically what happened with this trip, end quote. It was a crazy idea. The Northwest Passage is one of the most dangerous stretches of water in the world, maybe only rivaled by rounding Cape Horn. But Rutherford believed it was possible, and while Don Backey wasn't entirely sure about the project, he knew the kind of person his young friend was, and he encouraged him to pursue the idea. And thus Rutherford did what so many other explorers have done over the centuries. He went about raising money for his expedition. And as he found out, it wasn't always easy. Crab was a simple non-profit and didn't have any funds for the project. Rutherford sent out 800 letters to a list of potential donors, but the mailing ended up costing more than the donations they received. Rutherford found that he had a couple of major problems with fundraising. First, for many people, it was simply difficult to get their heads wrapped around what he was doing. Going around the world is easy for someone to visualize, but start saying Northwest Passage and Cape Horn and a person's eyes glaze over. The second issue was that once they understood what Rutherford wanted to do, they thought he was crazy and that he would die in any such endeavor. No one wants to donate money to a project where they think the person will die. But Rutherford persisted. He moved forward rebuilding the small sailboat that Crab was giving him for the voyage. However, at one point the project was so broke, he had to go dumpster diving for wood to rebuild the forward bulkhead. But in time, money gradually came in, mostly in small amounts. And there were donations of parts and equipment. Plus there were volunteers, people who helped out getting the boat ready, that sort of thing. Much of this all came from the people who supported the work done by Crab. As for the boat, Rutherford's jack-of-all-trades abilities allowed him to do much of the refit himself. He scrounged up timber and parts, painted the hull and anything else needed. The result was a sailboat dubbed the St. Brendan, after the famed Irish monk and explorer, which we did a show on last year. When I asked Rutherford why he named the boat St. Brendan, he gave me two reasons. First, the boat had originally been named Mammy, after the previous owner's grandmother, and he just couldn't imagine sailing a boat around the Americas named after someone's grandma. And second, he picked the name because St. Brendan's expedition is the embodiment of the impossible voyage, and everyone told him what he was trying to do was impossible, so the name fit. The St. Brendan was a 27-foot long, or 8.2 meter, Alban Vega built 40 years earlier. Rutherford would have liked to have had a nicer 40-foot long vessel, but as he told me, it was, quote, my only choice. Sometimes you have to just make do with what you got, end quote. A small sailboat like the St. Brendan isn't ideal for ocean sailing. It limits how much you can carry. However, a smaller boat is easier to manage, especially for a single person. For meals, Rutherford had one year of packaged freeze-dried food weighing 780 pounds. He described it as zombie apocalypse type food. It was healthy, but not necessarily tasty, with every meal having the consistency of a bowl of slop. Rutherford also had fishing gear plus a shotgun. The latter was for protection as well as hunting. Explorers for ages had survived by shooting and cooking seabirds. Regarding protection, that was for the worst-case scenario, such as Rutherford getting stranded in the Arctic and having to fend off a polar bear. Now, I want to note that while the St. Brendan was a sailboat, it did have an engine. But an engine requires fuel, which he would have to carry with him. 
Thus, its use would be limited primarily to times when there was no wind, or when the boat needed some extra get-up-and-go to avoid a dangerous situation. The issue with this was that the St. Brendan only had a 13-gallon gas tank. That wouldn't get him very far. However, the ever-resourceful Rutherford found someone who donated to the project an old 80-gallon bladder, which is basically a big storage container, and thus Rutherford had nearly 100 gallons of diesel for his journey. The downside to this was the fuel bladder essentially had to be set in the middle of the boat, which doesn't have a lot of space to begin with. It's sort of like plopping down a huge gas can in the center of a tiny living room. It's in the way all of the time, but you have to have it, and it can't be moved, so you have to learn to live with it. And so over the course of 8 to 10 months, Rutherford made a seemingly wild idea of circumnavigating the Americas a reality, even as people dismissed him as crazy, even suicidal. However, for Rutherford, this was an opportunity to challenge himself physically and mentally. He had a passion for explorers and adventurers who had pushed themselves beyond what others had ever done. And when asked about his favorite explorers, he mentioned men such as Shackleton, Tom Crean, and Roald Amundsen, adding, quote, There was something about polar exploration in particular that seemed so unbelievably difficult, and people really pushing themselves in some ways in a ridiculous manner, end quote. Rutherford also idolized the great long-distance sailors, such as Robin Knox Johnson, who in 1969 became the first person to ever perform a single-handed, non-stop circumnavigation of the globe. When asked about what he was looking to get out of the journey, he said, quote, I am looking for a challenge. I am looking for a way to push myself, often mentally and physically, to my limits, and see what I'm made of, and compare myself to some of the heroes that I've had, End quote. And what was ahead was certainly daunting. It was a 27,077 nautical mile journey, or 50,146 kilometers, in a small sailboat through some of the world's most treacherous waters. It was a challenge he would have to face alone. This was a non-stop solo circumnavigation, and let's explain exactly what that means. To be non-stop, according to International Maritime Rules of Navigation, Rutherford could not drop an anchor. He could not attach himself to anything connected to the ground. He could not run aground. He had to remain floating, sailing, or drifting for the entire trip. He could not attach himself to another boat or have someone else board his vessel. He was allowed to get critical parts delivered to St. Brennan if there was an emergency, but again, there were strict rules against dropping anchor or coming alongside the other boat. He hoped he wouldn't have to have such assistance. And speaking of emergencies, Rutherford did have a satellite phone, which he could use if necessary. But it was expensive, which was a big factor for an expedition on a shoestring budget, so he only wanted to use it if necessary. And so Matt Rutherford prepared to depart on his journey from Annapolis on June 13, 2011. Before leaving, he said goodbye to his parents, knowing how dangerous the voyage ahead of him was. And let's be frank, Rutherford knew this was going to be dangerous. But he accepted the challenge, saying, quote, You realize when you leave the dock that you might not come back, and you accept that. Once you've accepted that, there's nothing to be afraid of. He also added, if you die doing what you love, it's not a tragedy. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. 
Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, explorers. It's Matt. What if you could poke, prod, and explore the mysteries of nature from wherever you are? Outside In is the award-winning podcast from New Hampshire Public Radio that allows you to do just that. From explorations of nature to important conversations about climate change and sustainability, award-winning reporter and host Nate Hedgie covers all kinds of topics related to our world. They cover fascinating topics like the wild horses of the American West and why they are so divisive, little-known tales from the world of competitive dog sled racing, and the disappearing dunes of coastal Oregon that inspired the desert planet of Arrakis. Through in-depth reporting and narrative storytelling, Outside In meets listeners wherever they are to take them on the journey. It's not just for thru-hikers and conservationists. It is a podcast for anyone who is curious about the natural world. Listen to new episodes every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. Matt Rutherford, aboard the St. Brendan, set out from Annapolis, Maryland on June 13, 2011. There was one person on the dock to see him off. Now, I want to mention one huge issue facing Rutherford surrounding the boat, St. Brendan, and that is that when he set out down Chesapeake Bay, he had never sailed the boat before. The boat had been in the water, but the sails Rutherford got for St. Brendan didn't arrive until 48 hours before his scheduled departure, and so when he took her out under sail, it was her maiden voyage. As a result of the lack of testing, Rutherford and his sailboat faced a host of problems almost from the start. Nothing major, but still issues, such as a toilet seat breaking. But Rutherford worked hard to address each issue in a timely fashion, saying, quote, A lot of small problems become a big problem. It's important to stop the small problems immediately. End quote. Rutherford's wide breadth of knowledge and skills made him perfect to tackle any problem that the St. Brendan faced. A few notes about these early days of Rutherford's voyage. First, St. Brendan was, from the start, overloaded, mostly due to the nearly 100 gallons of diesel fuel that was on board. But every nook and cranny on the little sailboat was packed with gear and supplies. Second, the St. Brendan had an AIS unit, which stands for Automatic Identification System, to electronically alert Rutherford to commercial vessels in his vicinity. This was crucial to avoid collisions. Third, Rutherford used his phone to capture video of his surroundings and his experiences. Much of this would later be used in the documentary about Rutherford. Fourth, for this first leg of the journey, Rutherford's route was pretty simple. Sail up into the Labrador Sea and Baffin Bay, between Canada and Greenland, and then west through the Northwest Passage and into the Beaufort Sea. And fifth, the St. Brendan did have a satellite beacon on it, and that signal was posted on a website, which allowed anyone interested to track Rutherford's progress. And so up the North American coast went Matt Rutherford and the St. Brendan. Rutherford would talk about how skewed the world becomes on the ocean. Huge freighters and icebergs were tiny dots on the horizon. In the wide open waters, distances become hard to gauge and scale gets thrown out of whack. But 13 days out to sea, off Nova Scotia, it was the fog that really struck Rutherford. Of it, he said, quote, when you sail into the fog, it's like your whole world becomes very small. It's almost claustrophobic in a way, and it's really eerie, end quote. It was also at this time rain and waves, the latter big enough to break over the boat, made their first sustained appearance. The result was that everything got soaked, including Rutherford, and it was only going to get worse. Two days later, Rutherford faced his first major problem. His water maker broke. The device, which his hand pumped, distills ocean water into drinking water, it was Rutherford's only source of fresh water. Facing a make-or-break moment, Rutherford got on his satellite phone and made a call to Simon Edwards, a friend back home. He needed to get a water maker, and soon. 
Within 24 hours, Edwards had a reply. A replacement had been found, and thus Rutherford rendezvoused with another boat off Newfoundland. He ended up sitting in the fog for four days, waiting for the device to reach him. Crisis averted. As a bonus, the supply boat brought him clean socks, newspapers, and some screech liquor. The latter is a Jamaican rum sold in Newfoundland. Rutherford said, quote, It's about as good as it sounds, end quote. But no matter the quality, he very much appreciated it. The St. Brendan continued past Newfoundland and soon entered Baffin Bay, with Baffin Island to the west and Greenland to the east. The water was frozen on the western side and middle of the bay, so Rutherford stayed closer to the Greenland side, about 50 to 75 miles from the coast. For Rutherford, he was now heading into the polar regions, waters new to him. These were the same places that had tempted so many other explorers for hundreds of years, such as Franklin, DeLong, and Amundsen. It was a strange and beautiful world, as well as dangerous. There were icebergs the size of buildings, and pods of whales and dolphins. The coast of Greenland offered up stunning views of massive walls of ice. The Arctic is, at this point, mostly snow, ice, rocks, and maybe some moss on rocks. Of it all, Rutherford would say, quote, I feel like I've sailed to another planet at this point, end quote. He said some of the places reminded him of the land of Mordor, from Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. And as I mentioned, there were dangers to go with the beauty. One day, Rutherford went on the deck of the boat and was nearly swept off by a sudden heavy wave. This video of waves breaking over the boat's sides. It made Rutherford wet and tired, and he longed for a hot shower and some decent food. It was in Baffin Bay, as he approached Lancaster Sound, which is the entrance to the Northwest Passage, that Rutherford almost met his end. For days, the fog was so thick he could barely see in front of his boat. Add to this were the winds, which were brutal at times, pushing upwards of 50 miles an hour. The water all around was rolling and churning. It was going over the boat, bringing with it bits of ice. Glaciers were in the water, some big, some small. The small ones were often the most dangerous, as you can't spot them until the last moment. In this, Rutherford wore a survival suit, along with layers and layers of clothing, which he said made him look like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Now, in times like these, you literally can't leave the helm of the boat. This is one of the great dangers of solo sailing. When your environment is awful, you need to stay awake and alert and in control. This means sleep deprivation is a constant companion, and doing simple things, like getting a drink of water or taking a pee, are risky because you have to turn away from things, even for just a few minutes. Anyhow, at some point, Rutherford left the helm to relieve himself. He had a wind vane, which is a mechanical self-steering system that requires no electricity, fuel, or manpower to operate. And so Rutherford turned it on, thinking it would only be active for a short time. Well, once inside the St. Brendan, he realized the fuel bladder was leaking diesel fuel all over the boat. Rutherford knew that if he lost his fuel, the voyage was over. He had to act fast. He found the leak in the corner of the bladder, and so what he did was drain some of the fuel out so he could get the leaking part of it up in the air. Of course, he didn't want to lose fuel either, so he proceeded to fill up anything he could sacrifice with diesel fuel. This included some booze bottles, as well as all of his water jugs. Well, as soon as things looked better, Rutherford found another leak on the other side of the fuel bladder. In the end, he was able to save most of the fuel and position the bladder so it wouldn't leak. But let's not forget that Rutherford was in the middle of a storm, and he had been distracted for too long. He would look out of the boat, and before him was a massive wall of ice. St. Brendan was heading for a glacier, one so tall, Rutherford couldn't see the top of it. Rutherford rushed to the helm and fought to turn his boat away. He described the scene. The waves hitting the iceberg, mist going up in the air hundreds of feet, the impact sounding like an explosion. And that was St. Brendan's fate if Rutherford didn't act soon. 
He watched the exploding waves as each swell took him closer and closer to the iceberg. And just before the last swell, Rutherford steered his boat into the wind and fought his way around the berg. At that point, he had a minefield of small icebergs to negotiate, but he had survived. All of this, and he had not even entered the Northwest Passage. In August, Rutherford moved from Baffin Bay into Lancaster Sound, which is the entrance to the Northwest Passage. He had reached 72 degrees, 27 minutes north, the farthest north he would achieve. He had to make it through the passage by the end of summer before heavy ice clogged his route. St. Brendan followed the passage, going west through Lancaster Sound, then south into the Franklin Strait and through the Simpson Strait and into Queen Maud Gulf. Rutherford said the Simpson Strait was one of the most difficult stretches to navigate due to the strong currents, storms, and rocky coastlines. Of it, Rutherford said, if you're going to run aground, that's where you will. Now, Rutherford understood that he was entering waters with a tragic history. In 1846, the Franklin Expedition had spent two years trapped in these waters, every man, 129 of them, dying of starvation, scurvy, and illness. Rutherford, however, was following the route of famed Norwegian explorer Raud Amundsen, who was the first person to actually sail the Northwest Passage by boat. This means Rutherford went through Peel Sound, just like Amundsen. Most people who go through the passage don't do this, as there's a shorter route, but Rutherford wanted to follow in Amundsen's path. We should note that Amundsen ended up iced in for two years on his voyage at a protected harbor called Joe Haven on the southern coast of King William Island. Rutherford sailed to within half a mile or so of that location, wondering exactly where Amundsen and his small ship had settled for their long stay. And at one point going through Peel Sound, he sat and drifted as he waited for the ice to break. He said it gave him a lot of time to think. Regarding these previous explorers, he was inspired by them, even the ones that failed, like Franklin. Their courage and daring was motivating. Another story about this time is almost comical, but nearly ended in tragedy. Rutherford said the water here was mostly calm, so he was able to relax, even as he drifted or puttered ahead using the boat's engine. Well, it was here that he saw a narwhal, and then more, and more. Eventually, he was surrounded by hundreds of narwhals. It was an amazing experience. A narwhal, by the way, is a tooth whale. They have a long tusk that sticks out of a canine tooth. They're generally about 4 to 5 meters long, or 13 to 18 feet. Anyhow, the narwhal swam right past the boat, unconcerned about the odd visitor. One got so close, Rutherford decided to lean over the boat's edge and touch it. Just as he did this, Rutherford lost his grip. For a moment, he thought he was going to go in the water. That would have been a disaster. The motor was running, and the St. Brendan would have just left Rutherford in its wake. That would have meant hypothermia and death. But thankfully, Rutherford held on. Of it, he said in a self-deprecating fashion, quote, So yeah, I almost died trying to touch a narwhal, which would have been a very stupid way to die. End quote. Now, I want to note that the ice in the Northwest Passage is not nearly as thick as it was 100 and 150 years ago, but it is still very unpredictable and dangerous. One year, the passage could freeze over weeks earlier than the previous year, and a boat like the St. Brendan would be at the mercy of the pack if that occurred. Regarding the ice, Rutherford wrote, quote, Pack ice is the biggest threat once you enter the Canadian Arctic archipelago. It will crush your boat like a tin can or push you on shore and leave you shipwrecked. End quote. Now at this point, the eastern half of the Northwest Passage was complete, but I want to mention a few things. First, Rutherford had no heater on his boat. Why is this? Well, he needed power for that, and that meant fuel, and he needed his fuel to power the boat. This made things immensely uncomfortable at times. Despite this being summer in the Arctic, it was bitterly cold on board the St. Brendan, temperatures dropping below freezing. 
everything, including Rutherford, was often soaked, which made for some brutally cold days. Second, regarding fuel, Rutherford was forced to use his engines on occasion when the winds died down. This was not uncommon in the Arctic, where you have days and days of absolutely dead water. It was why having the engine and enough fuel was so essential to his voyage. Now, there was a positive to using the engine, and that was that the engine generated heat. Rutherford said he would place his hands and feet on the engine block, calling it, quote, the world's largest hand and foot warmer, end quote. There was, however, a danger to this. Because his hands and feet were so cold, they were often numb and he lost feeling in them. Rutherford had to be careful not to leave them on the engines for too long, or else he would burn himself. The third thing I'll talk about is regarding the daily drudgery of living on a small boat. Rutherford told me that entertainment on the ocean is immensely underestimated. To pass the time, Rutherford had music on his phone, plus a Kindle e-reader with a bunch of books. He also had some physical hard copy books, and he read those first due to the fact that they got moldy in the wet environment and eventually were ruined. Also, he played a lot of Scrabble on his phone, and he tried not to think about what he was missing. Dwelling on what you can't have, he said, was a bad path to go down. And the fourth thing I want to mention about the Northwest Passage was the dangers due to the ice and sleep deprivation. Rutherford said that the Northwest Passage was by far the hardest part of his journey. You have fog and ice and storms. The big danger was hitting ice in all of this, and not the big bergs. Those were easy to spot. It was the small ones, mostly submerged, that were the big threats. As I said earlier, to keep an eye out for the ice, you need to be awake. And for Rutherford, this ultimately meant six weeks of sleep deprivation. He would keep watch often for two consecutive days. In this time frame, he lost nearly 40 pounds and hardly slept. Despite all of the challenges, Rutherford would continue through the passage during the summer months and emerge in the Beaufort Sea on September 16th. He was done with the Northwest Passage. It was a feat that had thwarted humans until Roald Amundsen had accomplished it in the early 1900s. Of course, Rutherford had completed the journey in just 99 days, while Amundsen had taken three years. And so, Matt Rutherford had completed the first leg of his proposed epic journey to circumnavigate the Americas. And that is where we will leave things for today. Next time, we will complete Rutherford's journey, which will include things such as his boat nearly being capsized, ran by a freighter, and even running aground. You don't want to miss that. So that is it for today. I hope you enjoyed the story of Matt Rutherford and the first solo circumnavigation of the Americas. Thanks for joining us. I will see you next time. The Explorers Podcast is part of the Airwave Media Network. Go to airwavemedia.com to find other great shows, including the Useless Information Podcast and The Underworld.